Section 1 of His Family This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson His Family by Ernest Poole Chapter 1 He was thinking of the town he had known. Not of old New York. He had heard of that from old, old men, when he himself had still been young and had smiled at their garrulity. He was thinking of a young New York, the mighty throbbing city to which he had come long ago as a lad from the New Hampshire mountains. A place of turbulent thoroughfares, of shouting drivers, hurrying crowds, the crack of whips and the clatter of wheels, and uproarious thrilling town of enterprise, adventure, youth a city of pulsing energies, the center of a boundless land, a port of commerce with all the world, of stately ships with snowy sails, a fascinating pleasure town, with throngs of eager travelers hurrying from the ferry boats and rolling off in handsome cabs to the huge hotels on Madison Square, a city where American faces were still to be seen upon all its streets, a cleaner and a kindlier town, with more courtesy in its life, less of the vulgar scramble. A city of houses, separate homes, of quiet streets with rustling trees, with people on the doorsteps upon warm summer evenings, and groups of youngsters singing as they came trooping by in the dark. A place of music and romance, at the old opera house downtown, on those dazzling evenings when as a boy he had ushered there for the sake of hearing the music how the rich joy of being alive of being young of being loved had shone out of women's eyes shimmering satins dainty gloves and little jeweled slippers shapely arms and shoulders vivacious movements nods and smiles swift glances ripples bursts of laughter an exciting hum of voices, then silence, sudden darkness, and music and the curtain, the great wide curtain slowly rising. But all that had passed away. Roger Gale was a rugged, heavy man, not quite sixty years of age. His broad, massive features were already deeply furrowed, and there were two big flecks of white in his close-curling grayish hair. He lived in a narrow red brick house down on the lower west side of the town in a neighborhood swiftly changing. His wife was dead. He had no sons but three grown daughters, of whom the oldest, Edith, had been married many years. Laura and Deborah lived at home, but they were both out this evening. It was Friday, Edith's evening, and as was her habit, she had come from her apartment uptown to dine with her father and play chess. In the living room, a cheerful place, with its lamplight and its shadows, its old-fashioned high-back chairs, its sofa, its bookcases, its low marble mantel with the gilt mirror overhead, they sat at a small oval table in front of a quiet fire of coals. And through the smoke of his cigar, Roger watched his daughter. Edith had four children, and was soon to have another. A small, demure woman of thirty-five, with light soft hair and clear blue eyes, and limbs softly rounded, 
the contour of her features was full with approaching maternity but there was a decided firmness in the lines about her little mouth as he watched her now her father's eyes deep-set and grey and with signs of long years of suffering in them displayed a grave whimsical wistfulness for by the way she was playing the game he saw how old she thought him her play was slow and absent-minded and there came long periods when she did not make a move then she would recall herself and look up with a little affectionate smile that showed she looked upon him as too heavy with his age to have noticed her small lapses he was grimly amused at her attitude for he did not feel old at all with that whimsical hint of a smile which had grown to be part of him he tried various moves on the board to see how far he could go without interrupting her reveries he checkmated her relit his cigar and waited until she should notice it and when she did not notice gravely he moved back his queen and let the game continue how many hundreds of games he thought edith must have played with him in the long years when his spirit was dead for her now to take such chances nearly every friday evening for nearly sixteen years before that judith his wife had been here it was then that the city had been young for to roger it had always seemed as though he were just beginning life into its joys and sorrows too he had groped his way as most of us do and had never penetrated deep but he had meant to later on when in his busy city days distractions had arisen always he had promised himself that sooner or later he would return to this interest or passion for the world still lay before him with its enthralling interests its beauties and its pleasures its tasks and all its puzzles intricate and baffling all some day to be explored this deep zest in roger gale had been bred in his boyhood on a farm up in the new hampshire mountains there his family had lived for many generations and from the old house the huge shadowy barn and the crude little sawmill down the road from animals grown people and still more from other boys from the meadows and the mountain above with its cliffs and caves and forests of pine young roger had discovered even in those early years that life was fresh abundant new with countless glad beginnings at seventeen he had come to new york there had followed hard struggles in lean years but his rugged health had buoyed him up and there had been genial friendships and dreams and explorations a search for romance the strange glory of love a few furtive ventures that left him dismayed but though love had seemed sordid at such times it had brought him crude exultations and if his existence had grown more obscure it had been sombre only in patches the main picture dazzling still and still he had been just making starts he had ventured into the business world clerking now at this now at that and always looking about him for some big opportunity it had come and he had seized it despite the warnings of his friends what a wild adventure it had been a bureau of news clippings a business new and unheard of but he had been sure that here was growth he had worked at it day and night 
and the business widening fast had revealed long ramifications which went winding and stretching away into every phase of american life and this life was like a forest boundless and impenetrable upspringing intertwining how much could he ever know of it all then had come his marriage judith's family had lived long in new york but some had died and others had scattered until only she was left this house had been hers but she had been poor so she had leased it to some friends it was through them he had met her here and within a few weeks he had fallen in love he had felt profound disgust for the few wild oats he had sown and in his swift reaction he had overworshipped the girl her beauty and her purity until in a delicate way of her own she had hinted that he was going too far that she too was human and a passionate lover of living in spite of her low quiet voice and her demure and sober eyes and what beginnings for roger now what a piling up of intimate joys surprises shocks of happiness there had come disappointments too sudden severe little checks from his wife which had brought him occasional questionings this love had not been quite all he had dreamed this woman not so ardent he had glimpsed couples here and there that set him to imagining more consuming passions here again he had not explored very deep but he had dismissed regrets like these with only a slight reluctance for if they had settled down a bit with the coming of their children their love had grown rich in sympathies and silent understandings in humorous enjoyment of their funny little daughters chattering like magpies in the genial old house and they had looked happily far ahead what a woman she had been for plans it had not been all smooth sailing there had come some reverses in business and at home one baby a boy had died but on they had gone and the years had swept by until he had reached his forties absorbed in his growing business and in his thriving family it had seemed to roger still as though he were just starting out but one day quite suddenly the house had become a strange place to him with a strange remote figure in it his wife for he had learned that she must die there had followed terrible weeks then judith had faced their disaster little by little she had won back the old intimacy with her husband and through the slow but inexorable progress of her ailment again they had come together in long talks and plans for their children at this same chessboard in this room repeatedly she would stop the game and smiling she would look into the future at one such time she had said to him i wonder if it won't be the same with the children as it has been with us no matter how long each of them lives won't their lives feel to them unfinished like ours only just beginning i wonder how far they will go and then their children will grow up and it will be the same with them unfinished lives oh dearie what children all of us are he had put his arm around her then and had held her very tight and feeling the violent trembling of her husband's fierce revolt slowly bending back her head and looking up into his eyes she had continued steadily and when you come after me my dear oh how hungry i shall be for all you will tell me for you will live on in our children's lives 
and she had asked him to promise her that. But he had not kept his promise, for after Judith's dying he had felt himself terribly alone, with eternity around him, his wife slipping far away, and the universe had grown stark and hard, impersonal, relentless, cold. A storm of doubts had attacked his faith, and though he had resisted long, for his faith in God had been rooted deep in the mountains of New England, in the end it had been wrenched away, and with it he had lost all hope that either for Judith or himself was there any existence beyond the grave. So death had come to Roger's soul. He had been deaf and blind to his children, nights by the thousand spent alone, like a grey level road in his memory, now was the story of his family. When had his spirit begun to awaken? He could not tell. It had been so slow. His second daughter, Deborah, who had stayed at home with her father when Laura had gone away to school, had done little things continually to rouse his interest in life. Edith's winsome babies had attracted him when they came to the house. Laura had returned from school a joyous creature, tall and slender, with snapping black eyes, and had soon made her presence felt. One day in the early afternoon, as he entered the house, there had burst on his ears a perfect gale of laughter, and peering through the portieres, he had seen the dining-room full of young girls, a crew as wild as Laura herself. Hastily he had retreated upstairs, but he had enjoyed such glimpses. He had liked to see her fresh pretty gowns and to have her come in and kiss him good-night. Then had come a sharp heavy jolt. His business had suffered from long neglect, and suddenly for two anxious weeks he had found himself facing bankruptcy. Edith's husband, a lawyer, had come to his aid, and together they had pulled out of the hole, but he had been forced to mortgage the house and this had brought to a climax all the feelings of guiltiness which had so long been stirring within him over his failure to live up to the promise he had made his wife. And so Roger had looked at his children, and at first, to his profound surprise, he had had it forced upon him that these were three grown women, each equipped with her own peculiar feminine traits and desires, the swift accumulations of lives which had expanded in a city that had reared to the skies in the many years of his long sleep. But very slowly, month by month, he had gained a second impression, which seemed to him deeper and more real. To the eye they were grown women all, but inwardly they were children still, each groping for her happiness, and each held back as he had been, either by checks within himself or by the gay distractions of the absorbing city. He saw each of his daughters parts of himself, and he remembered what Judith had said, you will live on in your children's lives, and he began to get glimmerings of a new immortality made up of generations, an endless succession of other lives extending into the future. Some of all this he remembered now, in scattered fragments here and there. Then from somewhere far away a great bell began booming the hour, and it roused him from his reverie. He had often heard the bell of late, a calm, deep-toned intruder. It had first struck in upon his attention something over two years ago. Vaguely he had wondered about it, 
soon he had found it was on the top of a tower a little to the north one of the highest pinnacles of this tumultuous modern town but the bell was not tumultuous and as he listened it seemed to say there is still time but you have not long edith sitting opposite him looked up at the sound with a stir of relief ten o'clock it was time to go home i wonder what's keeping bruce she said bruce was still in his office downtown as a rule on friday evenings he came with his wife to supper here but this week he had some new business on hand edith was vague about it as she tried to explain she knitted her brows and said that bruce was working too hard and her father grunted assent bruce ought to knock off every summer he said for a good solid month or better too can't you bring him up to the mountains this year he referred to the old new hampshire home which he had kept as a summer place but edith smiled at the idea yes i could bring him she replied and in a week he'd be perfectly crazy to get back to his office again she compressed her lips i know what he needs and we'll do it some day in spite of him a suburb eh her father said and his face took on a look of dislike they had often talked of suburbs yes his daughter answered i've picked out the very house he threw at her a glance of impatience he knew what had started her on this line edith's friend madge deering was living out in morristown all very well he reflected but her case was not at all the same he had known madge pretty well although the death of her husband had left her a widow at twenty-nine with four small daughters to bring up she had gone on determinedly naturally smart and able madge was always running to town keeping up with all her friends and with every new fad and movement there although she made fun of most of them twice she had taken her girls abroad but edith was quite different in a suburb she would draw into her house and never grow another inch and bruce poor devil would commute and take work home from the office but roger couldn't tell her that i'd be sorry to see you do it he said i'd miss you up in the mountains oh we'd come up in the summer she answered i wouldn't miss the mountains for worlds then they talked of summer plans and soon again edith's smooth pretty brows were wrinkled absorbedly it was hard on her planning not to be sure whether her new baby would come in may or early june it was only the first of april now while she talked her father watched her he liked her quiet fearlessness in facing the ordeal ahead into the bewildering city he felt her searching anxiously to find good things for her small brood to make every dollar count to keep her little body strong to guard their hungry little souls from many things she thought were bad of all his daughters he told himself she was the one most like his wife while she was talking bruce came in of medium height and a wiry build his quick kindly smile of greeting did not conceal the fine tight lines about his mouth and between his eyes his small trim moustache was black but his hair already showed streaks of grey although he was not quite thirty-eight and as he lit a cigarette his right hand twitched perceptibly bruce cunningham had married just after he left law school he had worked in a law office 
which took receiverships by the score and through managing bankrupt concerns by slow degrees he had made himself a financial surgeon he had set up an office of his own and was doing splendidly but he worked under fearful tension bruce had to deal with bankrupts who had barely closed their eyes for weeks men half out of their minds from strain the struggle to keep up their heads in those angry waters of finance which roger vaguely pictured as a giant whirlpool though honest enough in his own affairs bruce showed a genial relish for all the tricks of the savage world which was at the breath to his nostrils and at times he appeared so wise and keen he made roger feel like a child but again it was bruce who seemed the child he seemed to be so naive at times and edith had him so under her thumb roger liked to hear bruce's stories of business when edith would let her husband talk but this she would not often do for she said bruce needed rest at night she reproved him now for staying so late she wrung from him the fact that he had no supper well bruce she exclaimed impatiently now isn't that just like you you're going straight home that's where you're going to be fed up and put to bed her husband grumbled good-naturedly and while she made ready to bundle him off he turned to his father-in-law what do you think's my latest he asked and he gave a low chuckle which roger liked last week i was a brewer today i'm an engineer he said can you beat it a building contractor me and as he smoked his cigarette in laconic phrases he explained how a huge steel construction concern had gone to the wall through building skyscrapers on spec and outstripping even the growth of new york they got into court last week he said and the judge handed me the receivership the judge and i have been chums for years he has hay fever so do i come bruce i'm ready said his wife i've been in their office all day he went on their general manager was stark mad he hadn't been out of the office since last sunday night he said you had to ask him a question and wait while he looked at you and held on to his chair he broke down and blubbered the poor damn fool he'll be in matawan in a week you'll be there yourself if you don't come home broke in edith's voice impatiently and out of that poor devil and out of the mess his books are in i've been learning engineering he had followed his wife out on the steps he turned back with a quick appealing smile well good night see you soon good night my boy said roger good luck to the engineering oh father dear cried edith from the taxi down below remember supper sunday night i won't forget said roger he watched them start off up the street the night was soft, refreshing, and the place was quiet and personal. The house was one of a dozen others, some of them red brick and some of brown stone, that stood in an uneven row on a street but a few rods in length, one side of a little triangular park enclosed by a low iron fence, inside of which were a few gnarled trees and three or four park benches. On one of these benches his eyes was caught by the figure of an old woman there, and he stood for a moment watching her, some memory stirring in his mind. Occasionally somebody passed, otherwise it was silent here, but even in the silence could be felt the throes of change. 
the very atmosphere seemed charged with drastic things impending although the opposite house line had been broken near the centre by a high apartment building and another still higher rose like a cliff just back of the house in which roger lived still others and many factory lofts reared shadowy bulks on every hand from the top of one enormous sign a corset pictured forth in lights flashed up at regular intervals and from farther off high up in the misty haze of the night could be seen the gleaming pinnacle where hour by hour that great bell slowly boomed the time away yes here the old was passing already the tiny parklet was like the dark bottom of a pit with the hard sparkling modern town towering on every side slowly pressing pressing in and glaring down with yellow eyes but roger noticed none of these things he watched the old woman on the bench and groped for the memory she had stirred ah now at last he had it an april night long long ago when he had sat where she was now while here in the house his wife's first baby edith had begun her life slowly he turned and went inside chapter two roger's hearing was extremely acute though the room where he was sitting his study was at the back of the house he heard deborah's key at the street door and he heard the door softly open and close are you there dearie her voice from the hallway was low and his answer yes child was in the same tone as though she were with him in the room his keen sense of hearing had long been a peculiar bond between them to her father deborah's voice was the most distinctive part of her for often as he listened the memory came of her voice as a girl unpleasant hurried and stammering but she had overcome all that no grown woman she had declared when she was eighteen has any excuse for a voice like mine that was eleven years ago and the voice she had acquired since with its sweet magnetic quality its clear and easy articulation was to him an expression of deborah's growth as she took off her coat and hat in the hall she said in the same low tone as before edith has been here i suppose yes i'm so sorry i missed her i tried to get home early but it has been a busy night her voice sounded tired comfortably so and she looked that way as she came in though only a little taller than edith she was of a sturdier build and more decided features her mouth was large with a humorous droop and her face rather broad with high cheekbones as she put her soft black hair up over her high forehead her father noticed her birthmark a faint curving line of red running up from between her eyes imperceptible as a rule it showed when she was tired in the big school in the tenements where she had taught for many years she gave herself hard without stint to her work but she had such a good time through it all she had a way too he reflected of always putting things in their place as now she came in and kissed him and sank back on his leather lounge with a tranquil breath of relief she seemed to be dropping school out of her life roger picked up his paper and continued his reading presently they would have a talk but first he knew that she wanted to lie quite still for a little while vaguely he pictured her work that night 
her classroom packed to bursting with small jews and italians and deborah at the blackboard with a long pointer in her hand the fact that for the last two years she had been the principal of her school had made little impression upon him and meanwhile as she lay back with her eyes closed her mind still taught from the evening called up no simple classroom but far different places a mass meeting in carnegie hall where she had just been speaking some schools which she had visited out in indiana a block of tenements far downtown and the private office of the mayor for her school had long curious arms these days was bruce here too this evening she asked her father presently roger finished what he was reading then looked over to the lounge which was in a shadowy corner yes he came in late and he went on to tell her of bruce's engineering at once she was interested rising on one elbow she questioned him good-humouredly for deborah was fond of bruce has he bought that automobile he wanted no replied her father edith said they couldn't afford it why not this time it's the dentist's bills young betsy's teeth aren't straightened yet and as soon as she's been beautified they're going to put the clamps on george poor georgie deborah murmured at the look of pain and disapproval on her father's heavy face she smiled quietly to herself george who was edith's oldest and the worry of her days was roger's favorite grandson has he been bringing home any more sick dogs no this time it was a rat a white one roger answered a glint of dry relish appeared in his eyes george brought it home the other night he had on a pair of ragged old pants what on earth he had traded his own breeches for the rat said roger placidly no oh father really and she sank back laughing on the lounge his school report said roger was quite as bad as ever of course it was said deborah and she spoke so sharply that her father glanced at her in surprise she was up again on one elbow and there was an eager expression on her bright attractive face do you know what we're going to do some day we're going to put the rat in the school deborah said impatiently we're going to take a boy like george and study him till we think we know just what interests him most and if in his case it's animals we'll have a regular zoo in school and for other boys we'll have other things they really want to know about and we'll keep them until five o'clock when their mothers will have to drag them away her father looked bewildered but arithmetic my dear you'll find they'll have learned their arithmetic without knowing it deborah answered sounds a bit wild murmured roger again to his mind came the picture of hordes of little italians and jews my dear if i had your children to teach i don't think i'd add a zoo he said and with a breath of discomfort he turned back to his reading he knew that he ought to question her to show an interest in her work but he had a deep aversion for those millions of foreign tenement people always shoving shoving upward through the filth of their surroundings they had already spoiled his neighborhood they had flowed up like an ocean tide and so he read his paper frowning guiltily down at the page he glanced up in a little while and saw deborah smiling across at him reading his dislike of such talk 
the smile which he sent back at her was half apologetic half an appeal for mercy and deborah seemed to understand she went into the living-room and there at the piano she was soon playing softly listening from his study again the feeling came to him of her fresh and abundant vitality he mused a little enviously on how it must feel to be strong like that never really tired and while her father thought in this wise deborah at the piano leaning back with eyes half closed could feel her tortured nerves relax could feel her pulse stop throbbing so and the dull aching at her temples little by little pass away she played like this so many nights soon she would be ready for sleep after she had gone to bed roger rose heavily from his chair by long habit he went about the house trying the windows and turning out lights last he came to the front door there were double outer doors with a ponderous system of locks and bolts and a heavy chain mechanically he fastened them all and putting out the light in the hall in the darkness he went up the stairs he could so easily feel his way he put his hand lightly first on the foot of the banister then on a curve in it halfway up again on the sharper curve at the top and last on the knob of his bedroom door and it was as though these guiding objects came out to meet him like old friends in his bedroom while he slowly undressed his glance was caught by the picture upon the wall opposite his bed a little landscape poster done in restful tones of blue of two herdsmen and their cattle far up on the mountainside in the hour just before dawn tiny clear-cut silhouettes against the awakening eastern sky so immense and still this birth of the day the picture always gave him the feeling of life everlasting judith his wife had placed it there from his bed through the window close beside him he looked up at the cliff-like wall of the new apartment building with tier upon tier of windows from which murmurous voices dropped out of the dark now soft now suddenly angry loud now droning sullen bitter hard now gay with little screams of mirth now low and amorous drowsy sounds tier upon tier of modern homes all overhanging roger's house as though presently to crush it down but roger was not thinking of that he was thinking of his children of edith's approaching confinement and all her anxious hunting about to find what was best for her family of bruce and the way he was driving himself in the unnatural world downtown where men were at each other's throats of deborah and that school of hers in the heart of a vast foul region of tenement buildings swarming with strange dirty little urchins and last he thought of laura his youngest daughter wild as a hawk gadding about the lord knew where she even danced in restaurants through his children he felt flowing into his house the seething life of this new town and drowsily he told himself he must make a real effort and make it soon to know his family better for in spite of the storm of long ago which had swept away his faith in god the feeling had come to him of late that somewhere in some manner he was to meet his wife again he rarely tried to think this out for as soon as he did it became a mere wish a hungry longing nothing more 
so he had learned to let it lie deep down inside of him sometimes he vividly saw her face after all who could tell and she would want to hear of her children yes he must know them better some day soon he must begin suddenly he remembered that laura had not yet come home with a sigh of discomfort he got out of bed and went downstairs relit the gas in the hallway unfastened the locks and the chain at the door he came back and was soon asleep he must have dozed for an hour or two he was roused by hearing the front door close and a big motor thundering and then like a flash of light in the dark came laura's rippling laugh chapter three on the next evening saturday while roger ate his dinner laura came to sit with him she herself was dining out that she should have dressed so early in order to keep him company had caused her father some surprise and a faint suspicion entered his mind that she had overdrawn at the bank as she had the last time she sat with him like this her manner certainly was a bit strange but roger put the thought aside whatever she wanted laura was worth it in a tingling fashion he felt what a glorious time she was having what a gorgeous town she knew it was difficult to realize she was his own daughter this dashing stranger sitting there playing idly with a knife and caressing him with her voice and her eyes the blue evening gown she was wearing tonight doubtless not yet paid for made her figure even more supple and lithe set off her splendid bosom her slender neck her creamy skin her hair worn low over her temples was brown with just a tinge of red her eyes were black with gleaming lights her lips were warm and rich alive he did not approve of her lips once when she had kissed him roger had started slightly back for his daughter's lips were rouged and they had reminded him of his youth he had asked her sister to speak to her but deborah had told him she did not care to speak to people in that way especially women especially sisters she had said with a quiet smile all very well he reflected but somebody ought to take laura in hand she had been his favorite as a child his pet his tiny daughter he remembered her on his lap like a kitten how she had liked to cuddle there and she had liked to bite his hand a curious habit in a child i hurt daddy he could still recollect the gay little laugh with which she had said that looking up brightly into his face and here she was already grown and like a light in the sober old house fascinating while she disturbed him he liked to hear her high-pitched voice gossiping in deborah's room or in her own dainty chamber chatting with the adoring maid who was dressing her to go out he loved her joyous thrilling laugh and he would have missed her from the house as he would have missed fifth avenue if it had been dropped from the city for the picture roger had formed of his daughter was more of a symbol than of a girl a symbol of the ardent town spending wasting dancing mad it was laura who had kept him living right up to his income where are you dining tonight? he asked with the raymonds he wondered who they were oh sarah she added to the maid call up mrs raymond's apartment and ask what time is dinner tonight are you going to dance later on he inquired 
Oh, I guess so, she replied. On the Astra roof, I think they said. Her father went on with his dinner. These hotel dancers, he had heard, ran well into Sunday morning. How Judith would have disapproved. He hesitated uneasily. I don't especially care for this dancing into Sunday, he said. For a moment he did not look up from his plate. When he did, he saw Laura regarding him. Oh, do you mind? I'm sorry. I won't after this, she answered. And Roger colored angrily, for the glint of amusement in Laura's mischievous black eyes revealed quite unmistakably that she regarded both her father and his feeling for the Sabbath as very dear and quaint and old. Old? Of course he seemed old to her, Roger thought indignantly. For what was Laura but a child? Did she ever think of anything except having a good time? Had she ever stopped to think out her own morals, let alone anyone else's? Was she any judge of what was old, or of who was old? And he determined then and there to show her he was in his prime. Impatiently he strove to remember the names of her friends and ask her about them, to show a keen, lively interest in this giddy-gaddy life she led and when that was rather a failure he tried his daughter next on books books of the most modern kind stoutly he lied and said he was reading a certain russian novel of which he had heard deborah speak but this valiant falsehood made no impression whatever for laura had never heard of the book i get so little time for reading she murmured and meanwhile she was thinking as soon as he finishes talking poor dear i'll break the news then Roger had an audacious thought. He would take her to a play by George. Mustering his courage, he led up to it by speaking of a play Deborah had seen, a full-fledged modern drama, all centered upon the right of a woman to lead her own life. And as he outlined the story, he saw he had caught his daughter's attention. With her pretty chin resting on one hand, watching him and listening, she appeared much older and she seemed suddenly close to him. "'How would you like to go with me and see it some evening?' he inquired. "'See what, my love?' she asked him, her thoughts plainly far away, and he looked at her in astonishment. "'The play I've been just speaking of!' "'Why, Daddy, I'd love to!' she exclaimed. "'When?' he asked, and he fixed a night. He was proud of himself. Eagerly, eagerly he began to talk of opening nights at Wallach's. Roger and Judith, when they were young, had been great first-nighters there, and now it was Laura who drew him out, and as he talked on she seemed to him to be smilingly trying to picture it all. Now I'd better tell him, she thought. Do you remember Harold Sloane? she asked, a little strangely. No, replied her father, a bit annoyed at the interruption. Why, you've met him two or three times. Have I? The queer note in her voice made him look up. Laura had risen from her chair. I want you to know him. Very soon. There was a moment's silence. I'm going to marry him, Dad, she said. And Roger looked at her blankly. He felt his limbs beginning to tremble. I've been waiting to tell you when we were alone, she added in an awkward tone. And still staring up at her, he felt a rush of tenderness and a pang of deep remorse. Laura in love and settled for life, and what did he know of the affair? 
What had he ever done for her? Too late. He had begun too late. And this rush of emotion was so overpowering that while he still looked at her blindly she was the first to recover her poise. She came round the table and kissed him softly on the cheek. And now more than ever Roger felt how old his daughter thought him. Who is he? he asked hoarsely. And she answered, smiling, A perfectly nice young man named Sloane. Don't, Laura, tell me, what does he do? He's in a broker's office, junior member of the firm. Oh, you needn't worry, dear. He can even afford to marry me. They heard a ring at the front door. There he is now, I think, she said. Will you see him? Would you mind? See him? No, her father cried. But just to shake hands, she insisted. You needn't talk or say a word. We've only a moment, anyway. And she went swiftly out of the room. Roger rose in a panic and strode up and down. Before he could recover himself, she was back with her man, or rather her boy, for the fellow to her father's eyes looked ridiculously young. Straight as an arrow, slender, his dress suit irreproachable, the chap nevertheless was more than a dandy. He looked hard, as though he trained, and his smooth ruddy face had a look of shrewd self-reliance. So much of him Roger fathomed in the indignant cornered glance with which he welcomed him into the room. Why, good evening, Mr. Gale. Glad to see you again, sir. Young Sloane nervously held out his hand. Roger took it and muttered something. For several moments, his mind in a whirl, he heard their talk and laughter and his own voice joining in. Laura seemed enjoying herself, her eyes brimming with amusement over both her victims. But at last she had compassion, kissed her father gaily, and took her suitor out of the room. Soon Roger heard them leave the house. He went into his study, savagely bit off a cigar, and gripped his evening newspaper as though he meant to choke it. The maid came in with coffee. Coffee? No, he snapped at her. A few moments later he came to his senses and found himself smoking fast and hard. He heartily damned this fellow Sloane for breaking into the family and asking poor Laura to risk her whole life just for his own selfish pleasure, his whim. Yes, whim was the very word for it, Laura's attitude too. Did she look at it seriously? Not at all. Quite plainly she saw her career as one long highland fling and dance with this hairy boy as her partner. Who had he danced with in his past? The fellow's past must be gone into, and at once, without delay. Here, indeed, was a jolt for Roger Gale, a pretty shabby trick of fate. This was not what he had planned. This was a little way life had of jabbing a man with surprises. For months he had been slowly and comfortably feeling his way into the lives of his children, patiently, conscientiously. But now, without a word of warning, in popped this young whippersnapper, turning the whole house upside down. Another young person to be known, another life to be dug into, and with pick and shovel, too. The job was far from pleasant. Would Deborah help him? Not at all. She believed in letting people alone, a devilish easy philosophy. Still, he wanted to tell her at once, if only to stir her up a bit. He did not propose to bear this alone. But Deborah was out to-night. 
why must she always be out he asked in that infernal zoo school but no it was not school tonight she was dining out in some cafe with a tall lank doctor friend of hers probably she was to marry him i'll have that news for breakfast roger smote his paper savagely why couldn't laura have waited a little restlessly he walked the room then he went into the hall took his hat and heavy stick which he used for his night rambles and walked off through the neighborhood it was the first saturday evening of spring and on those quiet downtown streets he met couples strolling by a tall thin lad and a buxom girl went into a cheap apartment building laughing gaily to themselves and roger thought of laura a group of young italians passed humming trovatore and it put him in mind of the time when he had ushered at the opera would laura's young man be willing to usher more like him to tango down the aisle he reached washington square feeling tired but even more restless than before he climbed to the top of a motor-bus and on the lurching ride uptown he darkly reflected that times had changed he thought of the avenue he had known with its long lines of handsome cabs its dashing broughams and coupés with jingling harness livened footmen everything sprucely up-to-date how the horses had added to the town but they were gone and in their place were these great cats these purring motors sliding softly by the bus roger had swift glimpses down into lighted limousines in one a big rich-looking chap with a beard had a dressy young woman in his arms lord how he was hugging her laura would have a motor like that kisses like that a life like that she was the kind to go it hard ahead as far as he could see was a dark rolling torrent of cars lights gleaming by the thousand a hubbub of gay voices cries and little shrieks of laughter mingled with the blare of horns he looked at huge shop windows softly lighted with displays of bedrooms richly furnished of gorgeous women's apparel silks and lacy filmy stuffs and to roger in his mood of anxious premonition these bedroom scenes said plainly oh come all ye faithful wives come let us adore him and deck ourselves to please his eye to catch his eye to hold his eye for marriage is a game these days yes laura would be a spender a spender and a speeder too how much money had he that chap and damn him what had he in his past how roger hated the very thought of poking into another man's life poking where nobody wanted him he felt desperately alone to-night they were dancing he recalled not at a party in somebody's home but in some flashy public place where girls of her kind and fancy women gaily mixed together how mixed the whole city was getting he thought how mad and strange gone out of its mind the city of his children's lives crowding in upon him end of section one recording by james carson